All right, let's turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, and we're going to look at, at verse 19 to the end of the chapter. And if you're a guest with us this morning, we've been studying our way through Paul's letter to the Corinthians as a church, and we're in this, this section where Paul's actually answering some questions that they have asked of him. And the current question that they have for the apostle is, uh, maybe sounds strange to our ears, but they're wondering, is it right or wrong to eat food that has been sacrificed to idols in the idol temples in that ancient city? And to put a sharper point on it, there was a group of Christians that knew that it was okay, that, that food itself was morally neutral, and and the people who insisted that you couldn't eat or who refrained from eating were just plain wrong, according to them. And they would actually like the apostle to set that group straight. So two weeks ago, we saw this yet but logic from the apostle Paul. Yes, he says, you can eat what you want. Food is just food. But there are those who are weak in conscience. And if your eating causes a brother or sister to stumble, well, then you shouldn't. So yes, the food is fine. But if your right to eat causes someone to sin, then your right is wrong. And then last week, we, we saw how Paul gave an example, a case study from his own life of how he himself has subordinated his own rights to the greater good. As an apostle, uh, he had the right to be financially supported by the church that he was working in, and yet he subordinated that right for a greater good, for the sake of of the gospel. And next week, we're, Paul, Paul is going to return to the whole idea of idolatry and food sacrifice to idols, but he has one more point to make uh, at the end of chapter 9 before he addresses idolatry. And the point he's going to make today, we're going to learn, has everything to do with flexibility in the gospel. Flexibility in non-moral categories for the sake of the gospel, for the, the reach and the power and the effectiveness of the gospel. Now, not, not flexing or changing the gospel itself, not changing or, or flexibility with the actual message of the gospel, but flexing behavior, becoming all things to all people so that by all means he might win some. In other words, after applying these principles of how how Love supersedes our rights and our freedoms. He's applied these principles inside the tent, inside the church, among believers and how Christians should interact with each other. He's now going to apply these same principles as it pertains to those who don't know Jesus, to those who aren't a part of the church. So what do the same principles look like, specifically with regard to our mission to reach our world, to reach people for Christ? We'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. And this is God's word. It says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. 
To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them and its blessing. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I might or myself should be disqualified. Let's pray. Lord, as usual, we need your help when we're looking to your word because we know that it's living and active, that you desire to not just increase our knowledge, but to change us in our hearts and in our lives through your word. So Jesus, we pray that you would do that today. Amen. Amen. So this is a classic text, right? You, you may have, have heard that all things to all people phrase before, and it's a, a classic text that speaks to, to a kind of flexibility that Paul was willing to employ in order to entrust and endear himself to different groups of people uh, so that he might win them to Christ. And of course, this is a, a text that Christians go to when the questions are as follows. For example, if all my non-Christian co-workers open up most about their lives over a beer or over a glass of wine or over a drink at a bar after work, then what should I do? Or if a Muslim friend invites me over for dinner and, and asks if, if you're a woman you to, to wear a hijab, what should you do? and entering into their home. Or if you have a Thai friend who more than that asks you over for dinner, but asks you to light a candle in their, their spirit house that they have set up in their home, what should you do? And if everybody that you know, especially at work or at school, if everybody is watching Game of Thrones, should you watch Game of Thrones in order to be relatable or to try to make gospel connections? And then, by the way, where, where does all things to all people go too far? Because certainly, to the adulterer, Paul wouldn't become an adulterer. To the drug addict, he wouldn't become a drug addict. Or to the strip club attender or to the drag queen, he wouldn't become, right? Right? So this is, this is where we're at in here. We want to find these things out with regard to mission and, and when and when not and why and, and what are we to do. So I have two main questions that we're going to look at this morning that I, I think are going to be answered for us. And here's the first one. When Paul was on mission, what was he willing to do? When Paul was on mission, what exactly was he willing to do? That's what this text answers for us. Now look at verse 19 again. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Now I want to pause there because remember, Paul just made the point that he is free from everybody, particularly because he doesn't rely on anyone financially. 
But again, in this radical, upside-down way, Paul uses his freedom from all in order to make himself the servant of all or the slave of all. Because he is bound by no one, he is free to bind himself to anyone. That's what he's saying here initially. And and we also find out that I might win more of them. So he continues, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. And then fourth, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. So what, when Paul was on mission, was he willing to do? Well, the answer to our question is found in these words, I became as. I became as. He was willing to become like these groups of people. And he's referencing his behavior. When he says to the Jew, I became as, to those not under the law, I became as, he's saying that I acted like in his behavior. I I was like this group of people. And of course, he references four different groups of people, particularly, he says first, to the Jews I became as a Jew. And this is really interesting because Paul was a Jew right? He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a a model Jewish citizen and even a spotless, righteous Pharisee at one point in his life. He was was decades deep into a a culture and a, a lifestyle among his own people. So you would think that he would say to the Jews, well, I just acted like myself. Right, Because he was so steeped in this culture. However, the Jews were bound to God's law. The law that Christ had come to fulfill. So the reason that Paul had to become as a Jew was that he wasn't a Jew anymore. Religiously. He was a Christian. He was now an in Christ Man, He was now a new creation in Christ. And in Christ, he was no longer bound to the law that constrained him and his people his whole life. So yes, Paul was a Christian. He was free from the binding law of God. But when on mission, he made himself a servant to the Jews by becoming like at times even by observing the law itself. Look again, verse 20, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews to those under the law. I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. What is he talking about? What does he mean here except that Paul would likely observe the kosher laws when he went over to the, to the homes to eat of those Jewish friends that he knew. He would certainly observe household customs and synagogue customs. 
He would speak their language. And he would be careful to not offend or distract or allow anything in his behavior to remotely become a barrier to the gospel. He would not bring pork chops to his friend's house to force the issue. to create a a mountain of a barrier in an attempt to to try to to get over that mountain to show how the law has been fulfilled in Christ? That's your strategy? No, Paul says, "I, I become like a Jew, like one under the law. Even with regard to the law itself, we hear stories of Paul as a Christian observing the law. Now, he would never do so when the gospel itself was at stake or at risk of being contaminated or confused. So it's interesting. On on one missionary trip, he's going to bring Timothy along with him, and he had Timothy circumcised. And and that is, of course, the sign of the covenant for the Jews, and it was for the specific purpose of of the ministry that they were going to conduct among the Jews. He wanted that barrier to be removed as they entered into synagogues first and preached the gospel. But then on another occasion, he refused to have Titus circumcised because they were insisting that he become circumcised as a part of the gospel. And that contamination of the gospel, that that adding into the free grace of God a work, insisting on a work, was something that Paul Uh, would simply not do. So yeah, Timothy, sure, circumcised according to the law, but Titus over my dead body, right? It's really interesting, the same law, the same action, the same act. In one case, absolutely. In another case, no way. As a matter of fact, if you read Acts chapter 18, which is the story of how Paul planted the church in Corinth in the first place. So it's a great story. And we find out that he, he's a tent maker and he's preaching. And, and at one point he's concerned about his safety, but he has this encounter with God himself who says, hey, stay here. I've got many people in this city. And then he stays for another year and a half. And then when, it, when he leaves at the, toward the end of that chapter, it says that he went to Centria, which is the 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 port on the other side of Corinth. I don't know if you guys remember that this was important because the sea travel. So he went to the port, he left Corinth, and it says there that he cut his hair. He cut his hair because he had been involved in a vow, which means that while he was still at Corinth in those final days, he hadn't cut his hair. So there's a period of time in the Apostle Paul's life at the end of his time in Corinth where his hair is growing. And he's not cutting it, and it's getting bushy, and it's getting long. And, and no doubt this was because, probably because of a Nazarite vow that he had taken from the book of Numbers in the law of God, where, where if somebody takes this vow, you don't drink wine, you don't, you don't cut your hair. Paul was still ministering to Jews in Corinth and to Gentiles alike, and this church had been planted. But even toward the tail end, he's not proving anything. He's he's willing to enter into a vow according to the law and had completed it so that when he gets to that gentria, he cuts his hair. It's over. He's finished 
his vow. This is amazing. What Paul is affirming to us is his flexibility. He was willing to enter into these customs, to become as one under the law, not because he was bound to the law. He says that. Of course, he is bound to Christ's law, but he's not bound to the law. But he was seeking to eliminate through his behavior in morally neutral areas any obstacle to the gospel. And not just all things to the Jews, not just all things to those under the law, but look at at what he says about to those Gentiles. He says in verse 21, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Again, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. So what do we see except that that Paul was similarly flexible when on mission in his actions and behavior with Gentiles. Now, of course, as I just mentioned, he remained constrained by the law of Christ. So this answers a lot of questions. To be constrained by the law of Christ means that Paul was not willing to sin. All things to all people did not mean compromise. It did not mean actively disobeying Christ and his gracious commands for our lives and for our good. But once again, in morally neutral, non-sinful areas and ways, Paul was committed to a kind of flexibility among Gentiles that eliminated barriers to the gospel. In other words, among Gentiles, among unbelievers, Paul wasn't weird. He just wasn't weird. Like he, he just acted normal. I, I wonder if people had no idea. I wonder if, if, if people were shocked to find out that this, this guy who just hung out with them the night before had a great time, a bunch of people over to, to whoever's villa, and everybody was hanging out and, and talking and chatting. I wonder if people were shocked to find out from a friend, did you know that that guy is like super duper high up in Christianity? That guy's an apostle. What's an apostle? Well, trust me, like he's, he's writing Bible right now. I wonder if people would be, be like, that guy? That guy that hung out with us that seemed so normal among us? You're saying that guy is writing Bible right now? I get the suspicion that that probably happened more often than not. Because he was willing to be all things to all people. Not because Paul was willing to compromise alongside all people, but he wanted to win all people, including even the weak. And the weak here, uh, they aren't the weak in in conscience, the, the Christians from above, because he says he wants to win the weak. Those weak Christians are already won. These are probably Gentiles who are really close. 
to coming into salvation. Probably Gentiles who were being awakened to the problem of idolatry. So Paul was, was careful to not exercise his rights among the weak unbelievers because he wanted to win them as well. So what is the point here? Well, our question is, what when Paul was on mission, what was Paul willing to do? I think we have our answer. He was willing to flex his behavior in morally neutral categories. But why? And that's our second question. But why? Why was Paul willing to do that? Why? When Paul was on mission, why would Paul change his behavior among different groups of people? And that's answered for us in verse 22. He says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. Look, that's, that's our answer. He's already told us that he gave up his freedom or used his freedom to become servant of all that I might win them. He's already told us that I became uh, as a Jew so that I might win them. And as one under the law and as, as one not under the law and to the weak, I became as them so that I might win them. And then now he tells us that what he means by win some of them, is that they might be saved. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Which means that, and follow this, that for Paul, his freedoms and his rights to whatever kind of behavior was neutral, that was never ultimate to him. It was never really about that. The squabbles that Christians tend to get into with regard to disputable matters, these were not things that he was fighting over. It was never about demanding his freedom in whatever situation he was at. His freedoms and rights were always employees of the gospel. The freedoms weren't the end. They were always a part of, of what was being used toward the ultimate end of winning people, of possibly seeing people saved. He subordinated his freedoms and his rights. He was free in his mind to be as flexible as he needed to be without compromising. He was free to utilize any kind of flexibility. Why? Because above that was his goal which was to, to win people. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. And look, Paul lived his life on mission. Paul was obsessed with people hearing the good news. This was the obsession of Paul's life, that Jesus Christ, the son of God, God's Messiah had come 
and had come and was born to us and, and lived among us a perfect sinless life that we couldn't live. And instead of being rewarded for that, he was crucified on a cross. As we sang this morning and celebrated in communion, he died for our sins so that he could take the punishment of every one of your sin, past, present, and future, and mine upon himself on the cross. And God poured out his wrath for our sins upon his son. And guess what? After that, he rose again. That Savior is alive today, and I have seen him. He appeared to me and showed himself to me and called me to preach the good news, the best news the world has ever heard, that you could be forgiven, not by working for it, not by works that you could do to earn this, but purely by the grace of God through faith and simply receiving, you can be saved and given eternal life and a new heavens and a new earth to come and forgiven and seen just and righteous before God and back into communion with the God who loves you. This news, which that just scratches the surface, this news was the passion of Paul's life. This was his obsession. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ had not only changed his life, but Jesus himself personally commissioned Paul as an apostle to share this news around the world, particularly to Gentiles. Look, this is, this is the heart of Christianity. Jesus Christ our Savior in whom we believe that has changed everything about this world and everything about our lives. Look what Paul says. Look what Paul says next, just to kind of prove this. He says this to the city that hosted the Isthmian Games. Isthmian Games, that's a fun word to say if you ever want to try that later. This were the games that rivaled the Olympic Games. They were held every two years. The city would swell. By the way, they had no facilities for these people when, the, when the, the games would happen every two years, which meant that they needed tons of tents for people to not only stay in and for them to pull off these games, which was a lucrative business for Paul while he was in Corinth. But this city, he says, look in verse 24. He says, do you not know? that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Look, he is consumed with the gospel. So much so that like the athlete, think about the athlete, everything they do, and an Olympic athlete. When are the next Olympics? Do we know? Does anybody know? Huh? Anybody? Seriously? Okay, I can't hear you, but I trust you. There will be hundreds of people competing in that. Is that winter or summer? Or summer? <laughs> I can't hear you, but I trust you. Okay. 
Here's my point. There will be hundreds of athletes. Guess what all of them are doing right now? Every single one of them. They are laser focused. They are committed. They are intentional. They are head on. They are aware of every cell in their body. They are consumed with and passionate about winning. And all of that back then for an, an olive branch wreath that would go on your head and that would wilt and crumble within months. At least our folks today get a medal that might last a little bit longer than that, right? I think what Paul is saying here is look, if, if the athlete is that intentional and that mindful and that focused on the goal to win something that's perishable, how much more do you think I am intentional and passionate and aware and, and head on a swivel with regard to the gospel and gospel opportunities all around me because I want to win the prize? This reward of, of sharing in the gospel, sharing in the blessings of the gospel, he says. And when he says disqualified, I don't think he means disqualified from salvation. The metaphor is connected to, to the rewards. Do you remember how he talked in chapter 3 about building on the foundation that is Christ? And some will build with gold and silver and precious stones. And that will last, it says, into eternity. But others will build with wood, hay, and stubble. And the fire is going to burn it away. And you'll be saved for sure, but you'll have nothing to show for it. You see, Paul's got this in his mind, the way he builds, the, the way he lives his life. He's, he's living for that well done, good and faithful servant, the reward from Christ for being a faithful servant, a faithful apostle, but for also sharing in the joy of preaching the gospel to thousands and seeing them saved. His singular passion in life was Jesus Christ. Therefore, he says, I have become all things to all people so that by all means, I might save some. You see, in chapter eight, he's already told us that, that knowledge is subordinated to love. says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And then he continues and says that freedoms and the exercise of our rights are always subordinated to love and to the good of others. Don't use your right to eat if it causes a brother or sister to stumble. Then, when on mission, his behavior in any setting wasn't about him or his rights or his freedoms. They were all subordinated to the gospel and to gospel effectiveness. Even other people's evaluation of Paul or expectations of him were subordinated to his passion for the gospel. Once again, I can imagine if Paul's Christian friends saw him interacting in this all things to all people, that in all ways, if his Christian friends saw him doing and saying things that, that weren't normal for him, 
and might have even been things that, that some Christians thought were wrong. Now, it certainly might have been frustrating enough if they asked him in that setting, Paul, what are you doing? What are you doing here with these people? Like, what in the world? That might have been frustrating enough for the apostle who would say, what do you mean, what am I doing here? This is the passion of my, this is what I do. This is what I do. Been called to, to proclaim the gospel, but how much more frustrating would it have been if they told him to stop what he was doing? And how he was doing it and how he was acting. And even worse, if they condemned him, Christians, condemning him as two-faced. You always eat pork chops with us. Why not over there? You never talk that way around us. Why do you talk that way around them? That's hypocrisy. That's inconsistence. That's chameleon. That must have been heartbreaking for him. Because in a sense, he's like, look, with love and grace, you've been brought into the kingdom and you're saved and Christ is at work in you. But could you kind of get out of the way right now? Because we're trying to win them. I'm not trying to win you. We're trying to win some here. And I'm not compromising. I'm under the law of Christ. I'm not sinning. These are morally neutral categories that I'm, I'm free to utilize in order to become a servant to the people that I'm with. This is, this is the exercise of wonderful flexibility for the sake of the gospel. Which means that part of what we learn is that a Christian's choices or actions may appear inconsistent or compromising or wrong, but for the sake of the gospel may have more integrity and purpose than you could ever imagine. The same act. So let's close just a few more minutes and let's allow God's word to evaluate our hearts. I wonder if we think about this, the first thing that should come to our minds is, is, are we living on mission? Paul's talking about his passion and his commission that he received, but we also have been commissioned by Christ. So is the, the spread of the gospel the passion of our lives as well, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian here this morning? And then if we are living our lives on mission, what does that look like? What exactly does that look like for us? In other words, do you and I have a category for becoming all things to all people so that by all means, we might win some? Do you find yourself, do you ever find yourself, certainly in non-compromising, morally neutral, non-sinful ways, do you find yourself willing to accommodate how you are with people around us? Where you might find yourself, how you engage, what barriers you might unintentionally be putting up that could be removed. Is your or my presenting calling card as Christians off-putting 
for whatever reason, religiously, politically, socially. It's worth thinking about. Or maybe you're on the other side. Maybe you're the, the all things to all people king or queen. Like you're at all the parties, right? You're, you're, you're up to your, your eyeballs in all things to all people. Question is, is all things to all people connected to mission for you? Or is this idea just an excuse to exercise freedom? In other words, who is winning who? Right? Is your goal and passion the gospel that saves and rescues those friends from out of something? Or are you being more and more and more drawn into something? See, these are the, the questions that this text asks of us. And in the end, and worship team, you can come, we'll, we'll close. Isn't it interesting that the word winsome literally comes from our text? Right? Like we put the two together, winsome, which means this character of your life that, that is in a sense uh, compelling and, I mean, how do you define it? Con- compelling and, a, and attractive, not in a looks way, but in a, in, a, in a kind of magnetism, easy with people. Winsome, like that's literally what Paul's saying, that I might win some. It's a good chance for us to consider our passion for the gospel and what that means for us as we engage those around us in our world. And if you're not a Christian here, I hope you've experienced that good news of Jesus Christ from start to finish. Through faith in him, you could be saved this morning. And we would love nothing more than you to come to trust in Christ for the salvation of your soul this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would lead us now as we close and consider these things by your spirit. Lord, as we talk about these things with one another, as we think about our lives tomorrow and Tuesday and Friday, the different different arenas and paths that you call us to. Lord, would would you by your spirit bring this to our mind? Help us to see. For those of us who have grown cold in our passion for others coming to know Christ. Would you forgive us? Stir that desire for us to be be looking for ways to see your gospel reach more and more people for their good and for the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.